And then I wish to preach God's word to you on the Eighth Commandment, You Shall Not Steal. And we'll mainly focus on the section from 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 to 11, and verse 17 to 19. And we'll read from 1 Timothy 6, verse 3 to 21. So the first verse, verse 3 to 11, be main focus. We read from verse 3. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some belonging for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, Faith, love, perseverance and gentleness. We'll continue reading. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the everlasting life to which you are called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in inapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honour and eternal dominion. Amen. The next few verses, 17 to 19, also forms part of the focus of the sermon. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. We'll read the last two verses as well. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoid worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. 
and seeing the doctrine on the Eighth Commandment is summarised in our Confession, Lord's Day 42. We'll read that as well. That's page 54, the back of the Book of Praise, of the, of the Psalter Hymnal. Page 54, Lord's Day 42. And there we read the questions and answers. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? He forbids not only outright theft and robbery, punishable by law, but in God's sight, theft also includes cheating and swindling a neighbour by schemes made to appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, he forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? That I do whatever I can for my neighbour's good, that I treat him as I would like others to treat me, and that I work faithfully so that I may share with those in need. Shall we pray for the preaching? Heavenly Father, we come before you as we prepare ourselves to listen to what you wish to say to us. Grant us all the appropriate listening attitude, reverence and awe, a receptive heart that truly seeks your glory. May our listening to you be a central and fundamental part of our relationship with you. Equip your servant to bring your word in spirit and in truth. Hear us and bless us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, you shall not steal. Is this what I need to hear? I don't steal, do I? No, let the unscrupulous hear this. Those who enrich themselves illegally and unfairly at the expense of others This command is in place for them, is it not? But brothers and sisters, this commandment is in the first place meant for you and for me. After all, who is speaking here? Is it not the Lord, our God, who brought us out of the house of slavery? The Lord who delivered us from the slavery of sin. Our covenant God is addressing his covenant people here. He's redeemed. Not to give us a thumbs up, because we've been doing it so well. No, the Lord really wants to guide us and correct us with this commandment. 
it also appears to be necessary. When you know your heart, you know how necessary it is. I can so easily exchange my freedom in Christ for modern slavery. It's so easy to slip into a life focused on wealth and material goods, success and status. The Lord keeps teaching us to leave things in their proper place. To see the earth and all that's in it as his creation and gifts from him. The earth and its fullness doesn't belong to us humans, but to the Lord. The Eighth Commandment is all the more urgent in this age of materialism. Living in a society so captivated by material interests doesn't make it easier to stay in charge as God's stewards and vice-regents. As redeemed children of God, we bear huge responsibility to show how one is to deal with money and possessions. If God's redeemed people don't do this, who then will show how we truly should deal with money and goods? Therefore, brothers and sisters, realize the seriousness of this command. Don't look to others, but take care that your own practice of life accords with this command. Otherwise, while professing your freedom in Christ, you may yet appear to be a slave to sin. And remember, what you do with money, or desire to do with money, can make or break your happiness forever. I proclaim to you the word of God under the theme, set your hope on God and not on earthly treasures. Set your hope on God and not on earthly treasures. We'll consider two points. Firstly, the destructive power of greed, and secondly, the rich gain of godliness. First, the destructive power of greed. Well, the Bible gives a very realistic picture of greed. We read about it in 1 Timothy 6. And Paul writes this in connection with false teachers who are out to enrich themselves. They're so addicted to the love of money that truth occupies a very subordinate place in their affections. They don't rejoice in truth. They rejoice in making money from their newfound religion. They do not seek the glory of God and the salvation of sinners, but they seek themselves. One does not see this immediately. They present themselves as pious, religious people. Paul exposes their real motives, namely self-interest, love of money. And therefore difficulties arise around their actions. They are a cause of envy, strife, 
evil suspicions, constant friction. What else can you expect? If you only seek yourself, your own interests. They are depraved in their minds and deprived of the truth, Paul writes. And let us, brothers and sisters, not think that this sin is far away from us. We're used to committing our life and work to the Lord. I constantly ask for God's blessing. But why do I ask for God's blessing? I can easily put myself at the centre. And then I pray, Lord, bless me. So that I can get ahead in life. So that I can make a profit. So that I can lead a comfortable life. On the face of it, there's a clear difference between the unbelieving world and me. They trust in their own strength. I trust in the Lord. But is there really such a big difference? In both cases, it can be about myself. Yes, I say that I give God the glory. It sounds pious. But it's basically about my own progress. Under the guise of dependence of God, I can seek my own prosperity. My faith then becomes a means of attaining prosperity. A profitable business for myself. And I then use my religion to benefit myself. Well, Paul exposes the hidden sinful motives. He sums it up with the expression, love of money. The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some belonging for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Verse 10. Paul shows the destructive power of greed. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Verse 9. Strong words. Frightening words. Paul is not here speaking here about the rich as such. Nor is he speaking about those who want to earn money in God's service to meet their needs and to meet needs of others. Now Paul is concerned about those who want to be rich. Those who are focused on being rich. Those who want to have more and more. And the ego boost and material luxuries it can provide. The contrast is therefore not between rich and poor. But between contentment and greed. The desire to get rich is already a sin, even if its intended ideal is not achieved. Here, the focus is wrong. 
Paul points out that such sinful desires lead to sinful deeds. When you want to become rich, you'll do what you can to attain it. And that's when it easily turns to the use of unlawful means or unfair means to achieve it. Thus you fall into temptation. You seek wealth, but you get temptation. You think that godliness can help you get rich, but you fall into temptation. Satan pulls you away from God. And beloved, once you give in to temptation, it goes from bad to worse. You get caught up in it. You end in the snares of Satan. Your freedom disappears. You no longer rule as God's vice-regent, God's ambassador. You become subject to other powers, a slave to Satan. He then has you in his power. And the destruction it brings about is evident from what follows. With such a materialistic focus, you destroy yourself. You end up with many foolish and harmful desires. Sin breeds sin. It makes you even more sinful. Your spirit is then captured so that it no longer governs and warns you. You have become a slave. Those foolish and harmful desires take over, plunging you into ruin and destruction. Body and soul, you are ruined. Yes, beloved, we receive a realistic description of the consequences of the love of money. We see the many victims it has made in our affluent society. The love of money seems to be insatiable indeed. If you're caught by it, then all contentment, gratitude, disappear. Are people still grateful, thankful for what they have? It's never enough. You still want more. Paul also saw them in his time, pierced with many sorrows. They went after another god, Memon. And with that they strayed from the faith. They sought their happiness with it. But they found no happiness in it. If you think of it, have you ever seen a slave of Mammon truly happy and happy forever? They pierced themselves with many sorrows. Wanting to obtain and keep a lot of money often causes a lot of misery, unrest. Relationships, marriages and families come under stress and are destroyed by it. There is a fear of losing what you've attained, a troubled conscience, no rest and peace. No real happiness. Do you recognize that? 
You don't need to look far. The quest for riches seems insatiable and devours those who chase after it. True gratitude and contentment disappear. Especially with people who already own so much. And in this, beloved, we can learn from many poor people in third world countries who hardly have enough to live on. And yet they can be so grateful and happy with the little they have and even share that little with family and friends. Many people are so busy accumulating goods here on earth. They're willing to work day and night for it. It seems as they have only one goal, namely to secure a comfortable existence here on earth and to enjoy its attractions. Everything is focused on this life. Paul denounces the pursuit of riches. Not to point to those outside, but to warn those who are inside. Greed is present in our sinful hearts. Modern advertising plays into it. To be something, you need to have this or that gadget or those symbols of wealth. Desires are aroused. You don't have to have money for it today. After all, everything can be bought on credit. Buy today, pay tomorrow, later. And therefore, be on your guard. Don't let the media, don't let contemporary marketing dictate your attitude towards money and possessions. Don't believe the lie that your identity is tied to what you have and to what you're able to do and to show. Don't believe the lie that the only sin you can commit in relation to the Eighth Commandment is outright theft. Do not fall prey to the seductive and destructive power of mammon. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon. It's one or the other. A life in selfishness is a life without God. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. If I set my heart on money and things, then I cannot possibly give my heart to God as well. If the gift takes centre stage, then the giver is relegated to the background. In effect, I then rob God of his possessions. After all, the earth and all that is in it belongs to God. I fail to make my possessions available to God and his kingdom 
I fail to focus on him in all I do and strive for. And I fail to share with those in need, whether it be spiritually or materially. Therefore, you shall not steal. God calls us all to account. What do you do with the things I have entrusted to you? Do you think of me? Do you think of your neighbour? Do you consider the spiritual need in this world? Is it a joy to you to be involved in the progress of the gospel to those who do not know Christ or have become estranged to him? Remember, everything belongs to me who richly supplies you with all things to enjoy, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. To the materialists, this is foolishness. It looks like you're shortchanging yourself. After all, you're giving away what you could use yourself. But the Lord teaches us that this yields a great reward. After all, he continues that by doing this, by being generous and sharing, you store up for yourself the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that you may take hold of that which is life indeed. Verse 19. And that brings us to the second point. As opposed to the destructive power of greed, there is the great gain of godliness. Can you secure a future for yourself through generosity? Doesn't the opposite seem to be true? If you save something, save something, then you have something for the future. Do you not? Surely we all have saved or are busy saving for our retirement so that when we can no longer work, we can make ends meet. The Bible doesn't reject such a sense of responsibility. But the Lord thinks further and places everything in the light of our eternal destiny. Earthly treasures do not help us beyond the grave. I can gather, gather all kinds of things here. However, it offers no lasting certainty. Remember, earthly riches are fragile, uncertain. Today I may have a lot of wealth, but tomorrow it can suddenly disappear. Earthly possessions are vulnerable. Disasters across the globe keep reminding us of that reality. 
And my life here on earth is also mortal, fleeting. The Lord Jesus made this clear in the parable of the rich fool. The man thinks he has everything sorted. But before he can enjoy his wealth, he dies. And all his riches fall in the hands of those who do not work for it. He himself has no lasting benefit from all his treasures. Christ concludes that parable with the words, So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Notice that expression, and is not rich toward God. That means he is not focused on God with all these riches. In the passage we read, Paul says, For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. Verse 7. Death is the big equaliser. When you die, you stand before God, utterly stripped of all your credit cards, of all your assets, luxuries and power. The rich executive, the poor labourer, the celebrity and the outcast, the powerful oligarch, and the impoverished citizen. They all stand on level ground with nothing, absolutely nothing, in their hands before God, possessing only what they brought in their hearts. Beloved, how absurd and tragic the lover of money and power will seem on that day when we stand before Christ. Therefore don't place your hope in uncertain riches, but in God. Only then are you truly working on your future. With this you ensure yourself of a good foundation for the future, Paul says. For true godliness is profitable. Paul already pointed this out in the verses 6 to 9. Godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. What gain? Paul does not say here. He wrote about that in chapter 4 verse 8 where he wrote, For bodily discipline is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things since it holds a promise for the present life and also the life to come. It's indeed something different to the gain that the false teachers and we sometimes can seek. For them it was and for us too it can sometimes be only about here and now. 
They will seek merely a temporary and transitory material gain. But true godliness brings unlimited gain. The present and the future life with God, you seize eternal life with it. Yes, godliness must then go hand in hand with contentment, Paul says. You can't separate godliness and contentment. Contentment. This means something different to what people understand by it today. Contentment today is something that arises when all your wishes are fulfilled. The marketing industry shows us so-called content people. They drive in that expensive car. They live in that luxurious house. They wear such and such clothing. Their body is slim, beautiful or handsome, and so on. Would Paul really be thinking of that sort of contentment? Does godliness bring gain when we have everything and can do what we want? Paul uses a word here that means a state of being content with your circumstances or with what you have received. Internal sufficiency, translated as contentment. What God gives is sufficient. In him you have everything. This is gain. To live under God's favour. It makes you rich and truly satisfied. Knowing the peace of God that passes all understanding. When you have God near you and for you, you don't need extra money or extra things to give you peace and security. This is what Paul writes. A man who experienced both riches and poverty. He learned to be content in whatever circumstances he was. Philippians 4 verse 11. And there he writes, I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Philippians 4 verse 12 and 13. And that's why he can rejoice and call us to rejoice always. Under all circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord with a father who cares with the Lord Jesus who forgives with the spirit who gives strength thus Paul has everything forgiveness of sins eternal life what more could one want he has God the Lord God 
is his reward. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you may live as content and thankful people. That's what he calls us to be, content and thankful. But are you also able to do that in our materialistic world? Where you're constantly being told that you need more and better? Well, let's be, let's be honest. In such a society, it's not easy to set your hope on God and not on earthly goods. It's hard to look at all the earthly hope that riches offer and then to turn from that to God and rest all your hope in him. It's hard not to love the gift instead of the giver. But this is the only hope for us, whether we are rich or poor. And if we can't do that, hope in him, we are lost. And therefore hear the word of the Lord. You shall not steal. Trust in me. Be content with what I give you. I assure you of the necessary sustenance as long as you need it here on earth. Even if that may come by family, by friends, by the church, I take care. Remember the words, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things, food, drink and clothing will be added to you. If you have food and covering, and the word covering can also refer to clothing and housing, shelter. If you have food and covering, be content with these, Paul says. If I give you more than that, then show where your heart is. Show that you indeed set your hope on me and not on yourself or on material goods. I have given you more than your basic needs so that you can have enough to live on and then use the rest for a manner, all manner of good works. Do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. Pursue godliness. That is, walk humbly with your God. Greed causes great loss, eternal loss. Godliness yields a great reward. It promises true life now and in the future. You have me, the living God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, it's so easy to get caught up in getting ahead, in succeeding financially. While it's good and needed that we work and receive an income, 
to care for our daily needs and that of others. It can have a way of capturing us and taking hold of our hearts. Father, forgive us for our attachment to earthly treasures. Teach us that we are not worth how much we can spend, but how much you spent on us, giving your only son for us. Remind us that we're rich in you. Make us content with the blessings you give and eager to lay up treasures in heaven. Help us to trust in you fully, whether we're rich or poor. Teach us how to use whatever you give us in a way that pleases you. Just help us to remain focused on you in all things we do here on earth, also with our money and goods. Grant that it may be our joy and delight to do good, to be rich in good works, and to promote your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.